I'm going to read our scripture passage today before uh, Pastor Daryl comes up and um, speaks with us. It's Philippians 2, 1 through 11 today. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Boy, I could listen to her talk all day. <clears throat> right? <clears throat> Thank you, honey. Great job. Uh, church, I am Pastor Darrell, one of the pastors here. And again, it's a, just a joy and a privilege and an honor to be up here with you, um, just sharing the word uh, that God has laid on my heart here in this series, Different Like Jesus, uh, the book of Philippians. Hey, so we're about a month, a little over a month into our series, Different Like Jesus. And just let me ask you, let's do like reality check. How are you doing? How are you doing? How is life? Because our goal, our job, a passion of ours as pastors is to prepare what we feel the Holy Spirit is laying on our hearts to share with you. It's not for us. It's not for our glory. It's not to get accommodations or or congratulations. But we feel that it's our serious job to go into the Bible, to, to speak on the text, and to encourage and equip you to grow. So how has this last month been? Are you growing? Are you being different like Jesus? Because we have an enemy that fights against us in this area. And he wants us to be complacent. He wants us to sit back and just kind of uh, enjoy or, or just kind of traveling through life. He, he puts obstacles in our path that are very hard sometimes. And we're either going to have the choice to be different like Jesus, or we're going to have the choice to just look the same like everybody else. And that's going to be a constant fight every day. Every, every day of our lives until we are with Jesus for eternity. So I encourage you humbly and I encourage you strongly, continue to grow, continue to take steps forward in your relationship with God for his glory and for his honor, simply to put a smile on his face. So, hey, if you would um, take a moment, would you pray with me? I just want to make sure that we just are open to hear what God has to say to us today. So would you pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, as we prepare to get into your word, Lord, our hearts are already moving. Lord, we have, we have given you our, our voices through worship. We have heard scripture already, and we've heard today's scripture that you have impressed on our hearts. 
And God, we ask that you just, that you would join us, that you would be with us here today, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear your message you have for us. You have a unique message for each and every person seated here today. Everyone that is listening right now, God, you want to speak to. You have something within all of our lives that you want to help get better. And God, I pray that we are just willing and open to hear you today. I pray that we would just listen to your voice as you speak to us today. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. It is in the powerful name of King Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, church, we are in Philippians chapter two. Let me start this way. Talk a little bit about family values. Um, Let me take you back to 2002. That's over 20 years ago. But um, I was a youth pastor at the time in State College. Uh, It was July of 2020, 2002. And uh, we had just finished a challenge conference in Atlanta, Georgia. We had two vans, two 15-passenger vans, about about 30 teenagers. We had uh, some leaders go with, and it was an incredible week of uh, hearing inspirational messages, of doing service. Chris Tomlin actually was getting his start and led worship at this conference. And it was just amazing. And as we're driving back on the highway, the van start that I'm driving starts to sputter and starts to lose speed. And we're thinking, whoa, 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 something's not right. Uh, There's no give up and go anymore. So we literally coast off of the highway onto an off ramp and both vans are sitting there and I'm getting out and starting to check things. And I have no clue about vans. I don't know how they operate. I'm not an auto mechanic. Um, but I know that my dad has much more experience than I do in this area. So I thought, well, I've got to call him because we've got to get home. We've got to do something. Maybe he knows how to like fix it. So I call home and my mom answers the, do- the, mom answers the phone and I said, hey, describe our situation. Um, can you put dad on the phone? And she said, I can't, Daryl, because he's back in the hospital. My dad had just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer earlier that year, and uh, he was put back in the hospital. So in that moment, <laughs> I had an attitude problem. I didn't know what to do. I wasn't sure what to do. By the way, this was July 4th weekend as well. So like, what garage is going to be open on July 4th weekend? So we gathered together, the teens, the leaders, and we said, guys, I'm, I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure where to go. We just need to pray because I know that's what we should do. It's what my parents taught me to do. So let's pray. And we prayed. And so I started calling around and lo and behold, we found a tow truck that would be willing to at least tow this 15 passenger van because it didn't move anymore to a location where we could possibly get it fixed at a Sears auto shop. And there was a hotel nearby. So maybe there was a chance we could stay overnight. And, and when this wonderful tow truck man came and started hooking up the 15 passenger van, I said, wait a second, where are we going to put all the kids that are sitting in this 15 passenger van? Cause you're going to be towing it. And he looked at me and he said, ah, let him ride along. It'll be fun. And I was like, ah, oh. Okay, well, uh, kids, please don't tell your parents about this when we get back to church. Uh, (laughs) So we did. Let me tell you, those kids enjoyed that trip. He was able to tow us to the nearby uh, garage. 
Um, there was a hotel there. We said, hey, there's nothing we can do. We've got to make the best out of this. We're going to just get rooms for the night. And so we did. We called all the parents and said, here's our situation. We're not going to be home right now. We're going to stay in a hotel. We're hopefully going to get the van fixed tomorrow and be on our way. Uh, that night produced many fun memories. There was an indoor pool. It was just an amazing time, uh, unbeknownst to us. Um, and this, the, the next day, believe it or not, the Sears auto shop was open and we were able to get the truck in and a belt had busted and needed to be replaced. And so they fixed it and we were on our way back and we went back to state college and all kids got back to their parents. Yay. Hallelujah. Um, now, why do I share that story with you? Well, because I, my parents taught me some amazing family values. And one of those, one of those values is we've got to have a good attitude, even in hard times because we have a proclivity to sometimes as humans, we can dwell on the negative or we can just kind of have a bad attitude about things. And that's why this message is called, are you in need? Who needs an attitude adjustment? Okay. I could have easily with all of those kids around just had a complete breakdown. And let me tell you in that moment, I wanted to, because I was like, I have no clue what to do. I've got all these kids who are depending on me and these leaders, and I have no clue what to do. But after some prayer, after some focus, God created a path for us and created fun memories through it. And my friends, that's what I want to talk about today. Paul is continuing his letter to the Philippian believers, and he's encouraging them to be different than the world around them, not just to blend in and just do life, but he wants his readers to be different like Jesus. And he gets to the point in his letter here in Philippians, we see it as chapter two, the first 11 verses, that he gets to the heart of what he is speaking to the Philippians in general. He's getting to the meat and potatoes. He's getting to the core of what he wants to communicate to the people who are reading this letter. And he begins by asking some questions that honestly, when you think about it, should really be no brainers. They're questions that when you ask them, you're like, well, yeah, yeah. Okay. So what, what do you got here? Well, if we claim to be a part of family of God, we should be able to, to answer these questions really simple. Some family values. Paul's first declaration is this belonging to something greater than yourself gives you purpose and direction. Belonging to something greater than yourself gives you purpose and direction. Philippians 2, 1 and 2 say this. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. See, Paul begins by asking some personal questions that he assumes that every person who has called on the name of Jesus would say yes to. Why? I believe he's starting to tune up the band for what's about what he's about to say in verses six through 11. But he's asking these questions, church, if you, if you belong to this thing, that's greater than yourself, if you have encouragement, if you have comfort, if you have fellowship in the spirit and your heart is soft, well then church, have each other's backs. Look out for one another. Love each other. Do life together way more than what your own wants are. It's kind of like this. I thought about 
parenting because that's kind of where we're at right now in life. And there are times where our kids can play together really well and it's beautiful and it's quiet and it's like, man, they're doing it. And it's like the machine is oiled and it's wonderful. Of course, you as a parent know that if there's too much silence, there's going to be a huge mess afterwards because they're probably doing something they shouldn't be doing. But it's beautiful when it's working. And when it's not working, it can be utter chaos. It could just kind of rub you the wrong way. Attitudes can go flying all over the place. And it's just horrible. But if we belong to something greater than yourself, it gives us purpose and direction. If we live more for just ourselves, we can see often in the future, whoa, there is a big purpose. That's direction I can get behind. I want to be living for that. And that's what Paul is starting to lay out here. Now, Paul also wants his readers to to know and understand that our foundation determines the strength of our oneness. Our foundation determines the strength of our oneness. What do I mean? Philippians 1.27 The second half of the verse read last week. Let me read it again. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. What is our foundation? Our foundation is our connection to Jesus. That will always be our foundation. Why? Because Jesus is our cornerstone. Okay, well, if that's our foundation, our relationship, our connection to Jesus, how do we strengthen this oneness? Because our foundation determines the strength of the oneness. Do what Paul said. He said, agree wholeheartedly with each other. Love one another. Work together with one mind and one purpose. See, this is the good news. If we fully embrace and fully wrap ourselves around the good news, we cannot help but be one. We cannot help but love one another, agreeing with each other, working together with that one mind and purpose. It helps us to be different like Jesus. It helps us to look different than the world. And this is where it really gets awesome. When people do look at us, and we don't want them to look at us for our own purposes, for our own pride, for our own status. But when they look at us, they see something in our words, in our actions, that's different. And they say, whoa, wait a second. Why? Why are you like this? What are you doing? You know, I know you. You're walking through a really rough time right now. This is, this is, you're doing things opposite of what I would do. How are you doing that? And it gives us the opportunity to talk with them about Jesus. If we're bold enough and, and have not fear to do that. But how do we do this? How do we, how do we be different like Jesus Let's start with our words and actions. Something really simple. Our words and actions make a difference. The words and actions that we use make a difference. Ephesians 4.29 says this. Do not use, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And 1 John 3, 18 and 19 go further and say, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so that we will be confident when we stand before God. My friends, our words and actions are very, very powerful tools, yet simple things that we use every day. And they make a difference. 
know, a question that has honestly plagued me for well over a year is this, where has the kindness gone? Because I look out everywhere and just see unkindness. I see everyone being unkind. I see, I see kids being unkind to each other, to their parents. Uh, I, I see adults being unkind to each other. Where is it gone? And it hurts my heart because it's not hard to be kind. That should be foundational, something easy to do. How can we love each other and work with each other with a oneness factor if we allow our words and actions just to go south? Words and actions are powerful. They make a difference. Words and actions show growth or they show decay. They're going to show that we're actually moving forward in growth or they're going to show that our lives are just in decay. There's no growth there at all. Words and actions, they're healing or they're hurtful. Do you want to be one known for your words of healing or your words of hurt? Actions of healing or actions of hurt. And words and actions give life or they steal joy. So are you giving life in the relationships around you or are you stealing that joy? But words and actions make a difference. Now, after Paul begins churning our hearts with some of these questions and he churns our minds with the truth about how we should be living, he gives us yet this short and yet life-altering to-do list. So we want to focus on this to-do list. You know, last fall we did a series entitled uh, Relationships and it focused on relationships. And the main idea was this, to encourage and train all believers to continually be moving away from selfish habits towards selfless habits that bring change in our thoughts, our words, and our actions in every relationship that we have for the glory of God. You know, Paul starts off this to-do list with verse three. Just listen to this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. We could end right there because there's a lot of truth that I know I need to work on in that area. And this is so much easier said than done. But my friends, we must battle, battle the internal, uh, master the bat. Okay, I'm gonna start that over. Master the internal battle of selfishness. My friends, we have to master this internal battle of selfishness. Paul understands this battle. He speaks of it even more plainly in the book of Romans, chapter seven, verses 18 through 25. Listen and follow as I read what Paul wrote about this internal battle. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. I've discovered the principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. 
Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. See, Paul understood this dichotomy, this idea that there are two battles waging war within our soul. This idea that sin just wants to, to have us live over here, but yet the God allows us, gives us the power to do what's right because he came and set things right by dying on the cross and rising again. You know, I, recently it's become common for me to have this conversation with my kids and it goes a little something like this. <clears throat> I'm not going to use their names. I'll use my name. Okay. It's not to embarrass them. So I'll say like this. All right. So listen, there are two Daryls. There are two Daryls within inside of you. There is a Daryl that has the potential of greatness that has the ability to be kind and respectful and get along with your siblings and listen to your parents and get along with those that you interact with. There is a Daryl that has the capacity to do good for the glory of God. And at the same time, there is a Daryl that is going to say, I'm going to do what Daryl wants to do whenever Daryl wants to do it because I'm Daryl. There are these two Daryls that are battling inside you. The question is, which one is going to win today? Which one are you going to lock and cage up? And which one are you going to let out for the world to see? That's a conversation I have with my kids, but as I think about it, it's a conversation I have with myself. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't stand in front of the mirror and say, okay, Daryl, which one's it going to be? Is it going to be you? Is it going to be you? All right, I don't do that sometimes, okay? All right, so. Um, but is this not a conversation we should be having with ourselves? Because inside each of us, there are two natures that we have to wrestle with. And my friends, we're going to wrestle with this till the day we die. We're not going to wake up one morning and be like, okay, we're done. I've totally decided this is the way I'm going. Because that sin nature, it's just a part of us. And so we're constantly going to have to battle this. We have to master this internal battle of selfishness. It's a lifelong battle of who gets the throne in my life. Either I'm going to sit on the throne and get all comfortable and be like, this is Daryl's world. Enjoy. Or I'm going to get myself off of that throne and say, Jesus, I come and invite you. This is your place in my life. You have the centrality in my life to lead. And why do we try to impress each other? Paul says, don't, don't do this. Don't try to impress each other. But why do we do it? What do we get out of impressing each other? I think it's this. It has to do with how we're created. We just simply want to be known and we want to know others. So sometimes we allow that sinful nature out to be selfish and to be like, well, I want to be known. So I'm going to try to impress others. And if I impress others, I will be accepted. And if I can't impress you, then there must be something wrong with me. It's this internal battle of validation we find, but it's such, such an unhealthy thing when we're trying to impress others because of that. Now, if we practice the art of humility, 
what Paul speaks of, our relationships will blossom because why? Pride makes us artificial and humility makes us real. Pride makes us fake. Humility makes us real. Philippians 2, 4. Do not, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Let me read that again. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You see, pride has a way of making us fake. And if you've ever been around a prideful person, you can tell. You can just tell that everything that they are living for is for themselves. And it just seems so shallow, so fake. But someone who's humble and you can see their heart, there's something that's attractive there and you want to be around it. So we don't want our pride to have a place in our lives. What it does is it comes down to balance. Here's what I mean. Pride is only about your own interests. That's pride. Humility is a balance of your own interests and the interests of others. What do I mean by this, Pastor Darrell? Well, let me tell you. It's like this. You can only be as good for those around you as you are good yourself. Let me put another word in there instead of good. You are only healthy for those around you as you are healthy yourself. It's called self-care. And sometimes I think we have a, 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 a way of being like, well, nope, that's not godly. We must deny ourselves completely and we must follow Jesus, okay? There is truth. That's biblical. We should deny ourselves. But my friends, if we are not taking care of ourselves, how are we good for others? This is something I battle with a lot. I battle with this way too much. I've not learned this lesson yet. Because my heart wants to say, I give, I give, I give. I need to take care of this. I need to take care of that. This is what we need to do. I want to give. I want to make sure everyone else is taken care of. And if there's a little room, well, then maybe I'll take care of Pastor Daryl. And that's not good. That's so unhealthy because I can get myself to a place where it's not good. And then how am I really helping anybody if I'm not healthy myself? And I think that's why Paul, that word only is so, so important in this verse. Don't look out for your only, don't look out only for your own interest. That's pride. Be careful of that. But take an interest in others too. Make sure you're healthy and look out for others. Look at Jesus. He did this. He did this in his life over and over and over again. He was there to take care of the sick, of the lame, of the blind, of the mute. And he was there to bring light and life to everyone who he came in contact with. But he didn't do it 24-7. Were there times where he stepped away from the crowd, stepped away from the ministry? And what did he do? He spent time with his father. He spent time recharging. He spent time refocusing on what his mission was. He refound that focus. And if Jesus does this, don't you think we should be doing this too? This balance. And this is why Paul wrote in verse five about our attitude being like Jesus. You see, because attitude is this, it's internal thought revealed by external behavior. Philippians 2, 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Paul's about to go into a beautiful description 
of what Jesus Christ's attitude was all about. But let me just pause and say this idea of attitude. Attitude is this, what we think, what we're thinking internally, what we're feeling, what grows inside of us. And it is revealed by our outward actions. People can see attitude. Have you ever made the phrase like, well, man, that person's got some attitude. Oh my goodness. Right? You've seen it. Sometimes you might make jokes about it. Or how about this? You see someone who just kind of They just like have a look on their face. Whoa, man, what's going on? It's called the stinky cheese syndrome. It's almost like someone rubs stinky cheese right there and they just smell like, oh man, that just smelled. It's horrible, right? And again, we cannot judge a book by its covers because we never know what's going on underneath the surface. But our attitude comes out. This is what our attitude is. It's this internal thoughts, those thoughts and feelings we have that they are, they are revealed, they are shown by our external actions. So Paul says, okay, here's the deal. If you're a body, if you're part of the body of Christ, man, we should love each other. We should be humble. Don't think only of your own interests, but think of other people's interests. And you know what? You got to have, we got to have the attitude, the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. But we got to be careful about doing this. The truth is that we all have attitude. Now, before we get into this section, this, these verses six through 11, I need to tell you something. This past week, as I was preparing for this message, uh, you know, my, my heart beats as a pastor and it especially beats for children's ministry. And I came across a really cool object lesson, okay? Like in kids' ministry, object lessons are amazing, right? Using something to kind of make an illustration. Well, there's an object lesson I'd like to share with you. May I share an object lesson with you? Yes? Okay, cool. I can't do it myself, though. I've got to invite my friend. So Mr. George Peach, would you come and join me up here on stage? Mr. George Peach is a pilot. Now, you might ask, why in the world do you need a pilot up here? Well, let me tell you. As I was researching and doing some looking for this message, I came across this thing called an attitude indicator, okay? Pastor Darrow, are you sure you heard that right? Don't you mean an altitude indicator? Because altitude kind of goes with flying. Nope. An attitude indicator. And there is an attitude indicator that is inside of a plane. So I asked my good friend and professional pilot to help explain what an attitude indicator is. So George, would you help us understand, and you're gonna see some pictures up on the screen of what an attitude indicator is in a plane, but can you just simply tell us what is an attitude indicator in a plane? Absolutely. Um, and I'm not the only pilot here. I, I had several people come up to me after the uh, first service, and uh, I know there were pilots in here, both uh, Susie and Lenny Simniscus are pilots. Uh, who else is a pilot in here? Anybody else? Nobody in this service. Four people, I think, in the last service were. But uh, an attitude indicator, um, attitude of an airplane is, is basically two things. You have pitch, which is up and down, and you have bank, which is side to side. And if you, if you look at the, those uh, diagrams up there, the one on the left, straight and level. Um, and the one on the right, he's in a bank, okay? And you can't stay in a bank too long before 
bad things happen. Um, but uh, that's what it, the that indicator shows you where you're at in space uh, according to the the horizon. Mm. So that's basically what it is. Nice. So how does this attitude indicator? How does it keep the pilot safe while flying? So um, you want to you know you want to fly straight and level most of the time unless you have to land or the, un unless you have to turn. Uh, so that will will show that you're that you're straight and level and, and will show you uh, it, it, when you're turning and it becomes becomes important really critical if you're flying in instrument conditions meaning um, you're in the fog you're in in the clouds and uh, the the first time that happens to any pilot it's scary because you can't see anything and and uh, then you have to laser focus on on uh, that that attitude indicator mm. So good. So what could happen if the pilot decides to take his eyes off of the attitude indicator or if the pilot just chooses to say, I'm not going to use it? Yeah. And uh, again, this is where every pilot in training, the instructor is going to tell him, don't trust your feelings. Mm. You might feel like you're going straight and level, but you could be in a, in a bank and you could, you could be in a really uh, uh, bad attitude in, in the airplane. And, and you, you may have heard uh, when John F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, crashed, it was because of spatial disorientation. He took his eyes off the instruments and specifically off the attitude indicator, which showed him he was in a, in a descending bank and ultimately went into what they call a death spiral that you can't get out of, and he killed himself and, and, and two other people. So you have to focus, laser focus on those, those instruments. You cannot trust your own feelings because, as you know, it can be deadly. Mm. Thank you, George. Thank you so much. Everyone, round of applause, Mr. Peach. Who wants to catch the plane? Uh oh oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> Awesome. All right. So an attitude indicator. So church, my friends, this is why I got excited. If there's an attitude indicator that was put into a plane for the pilot to be able to know where and how he's flying, if he's focusing on the horizon and seeing out there, don't you think that our heavenly father built within us an attitude indicator? That's where you can say yes. <laughs> he did. I believe this. We have a built-in attitude indicator, right? The question is, is are we using it? Are we using the attitude indicator within our own lives to make sure that we are focused, that we are flying safe? Because like you heard George say, life is not always a beautiful sunset as you're flying forward. Sometimes you're in the clouds. Sometimes you can't see. That's when life gets hard. That's when life gets difficult and you have nothing but your instruments to trust in, to allow you to know how to fly safely because you have a choice. You can take your eyes off of the instruments and say, nope, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be in control here. I've got this. And you can fall into a death spiral. That doesn't sound good by any means, okay? But in our life, we have this built-in attitude indicator. The question is, are we using it? Are we using it to help us to be different like Jesus? Or are we saying, nah, you know what? I really don't need this. I'm going to do it myself.
and you just end up looking like everybody else. Paul ends this heartbeat with a couple of verses here that are so powerful and so Christ-centered because he wants his believers to understand without a shadow of doubt who Jesus Christ is. The first point he makes is this. Jesus was fully God, yet he gave up his divine privileges. Philippians 2, 6, and 7. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. Jesus chose to give up his divine privileges. You see, this is where we talk about this idea that Jesus emptied himself or he took his divinity and he clothed it in humanity. There were certain things that he gave up. And why did he give those up? Why did he give those up? Because as a man, everything that we think and say and feel and do, he was able to do as well. We could relate to Jesus in this way. And Jesus had to be dependent on his father. He was fully God. And yet he gave up his divine privileges. He was without sin so that he could be the sacrificial lamb that the world needed. Second point, Jesus was obedient as a human servant and he died on the cross. Philippians 2.8, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. <clears throat> Jesus was obedient as a human servant and he died on the cross. Jesus' attitude, his attitude was determined by his focus. Where Jesus' focus was on doing the will of his father, God. He knew the road that laid before him, but he also knew what laid on the other side of death. He knew his mission. His job was to connect God with his special creation his beloved creation again, to be that once and for all sacrifice that would appease the wrath of a loving God. This was Jesus. He was obedient and he died on the cross. Allow what lays in front of you. If you've accepted Jesus into your life, what lies in front of you is an eternity with Jesus. Let that be the focus that helps your attitude day after day after day. There is going to be one day where we are with him forever. And I'll tell you, my friends, that can be a big attitude adjustment. Jesus didn't just die though. He rose. Amen and amen. Jesus rose from the grave and he is seated in the highest place of honor. Philippians 2, 9. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. You see, Jesus conquered sin and death. He ascended into heaven. He sits in the highest seat of honor. His name is above all other names. My friends, and it's not just that. 
it's this, Jesus is Lord and everyone will acknowledge him. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 say that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. That is definitely an amen spot. Why? Because this is who Jesus is. Everyone will know who he is and what he did. Everyone will speak of his greatness. My friends, this is everyone. This is everyone. Those who believe in him, those who don't believe in him, those who want to think they can wait until they get it all together before they believe in him. Everyone will acknowledge who Jesus is. Satan will acknowledge who Jesus is. This is Jesus. This is his attitude for us. This is why Paul says, if you have any connection with the fellowship of believers and with God and with the Holy Spirit, man, we should be humble and we should think not only to our own interests, but we should think to the interests of others and love each other and take care of each other. Guys, it's really this. We should have the attitude of Jesus. We should have the mindset of Jesus. Because if we do that, when we do that, we're going to look different. We're going to look different like Jesus. And God's going to get the glory. I want to close with this as the worship team comes up. In this closing song, we are going to be declaring his great name. Be prepared just to belt it out. But the Evangelical Free Church of America has a 10-point statement of faith. And it's kind of like the core of what our church believes. It's kind of like the majors. And we like to say that we major in the major and minor in the minors. There's a lot of minor things that we can have um, good conversation about and we can end up on both sides of the fence. But when it comes to the majors, no, this is, this is core to what we believe. And two of these statements, number four and five, talk about Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ. And I want to read them for you. Here's what the fourth article of faith in the statement of faith says about Jesus Christ. It says, we believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man, one person in two natures. Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father as our high priest and advocate. That's who Jesus is. And as far as the work of Christ, Article 5 says this, we believe that Jesus Christ as our representative and substitute shed his blood on the cross as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. His atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute the only ground for salvation. My friends, there is nothing that we can do ever to earn our place in heaven. It has already been given to us. All we have to do is accept who Jesus is and what he did and confess with our hearts that we are sinful and that Jesus did what he did to connect us back to God. And once we live with his Holy Spirit inside of us and we continue to grow 
and our words and actions change and they make a difference. And we continue to just love Jesus more and we love God more. People start noticing differences within us and it's not for our glory and it's not for our, our, our prestige, but it's to put a smile on God's face and they say, what's different about you? And we have a chance to talk to people about Jesus. So like I said at the beginning, how are you doing? Like the title of the message, who needs an attitude adjustment? I don't know where you are right now. We all come in different areas. Everybody walked in here with stuff. I know that. Even I walk in here with stuff. But we can surrender that all to God. And we can know, we can trust this internal attitude indicator that we can follow Jesus and put a smile on God's face. So church, would you pray with me as we close and prepare to just honor him through song? Heavenly Father, God, you are amazing Lord, just to hear the words that Paul wrote about you just gives me a new hope, a new hope that, that you're not done with who we are and you're not done with the work that you've called us to do. And Lord, until you call us home, until you come back, there's a job for us to do. And we can do that because you have given us power because of what you did. You beat sin, you beat death, and you rose from the grave and now you are seated at the highest place of honor and everyone will acknowledge you. Everyone will say, Jesus Christ is Lord. God, that is a powerful name. And God, wherever we're at, however we came in this morning, Lord, I pray that you just speak to us so much that you will convict us of the things that we've been holding on to that we know are wrong that we'd confess them to you, Lord, that we would come clean and that you would just begin to do a great work in us that you've been doing for many years. And Lord, we do all of this. Why? We don't do it for our fame. We don't do it for our pride. We do it because we want to see you glorified. We want to see your name lifted up high. So Lord, continue doing a work in our hearts continue doing a work in our hearts as we, as we walk out today. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for, for giving us a mission and a focus that we can attach onto to help us get through those, those really low days. And Lord, we praise you for the high days as well. God, we love you so much. Thank you for loving us first. It is in the powerful name of King Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen. My friends, we, will, we all walk in here with something in common, and that's Jesus in our lives. And we just want to encourage you to keep pressing on. Keep pressing forward, being different like Jesus. We are not perfect. One day, that will happen when we're in his presence forever. But until that day comes, we got work to do. So I want you to go out into your world and be different like Jesus. Let me close with reading these words that Paul says, verses six through 11, his, his explanation of Jesus. He says this, though he was God, he did not think equality with God is something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. 
and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen.